Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Redestine tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. This is Animal Thunderdome. All right. This was a massive story. We have gotten so many tweets. We got so many people reacting to it. What is the story out of India? So late Friday night in India, the man-eating tiger named T1 was shot and killed. Now, the plan was to tranquilize the man-eater, but according to the hunters that tried to capture her, she roared and charged after being hit with a tranquilizer dart at short range, so they just had to do what they had to do, and they, they shot the man-eater down. So this is a big deal. Uh, we have gotten, I mean, maybe one of the best, maybe the best interview we've ever done. We had uh, Nawab Shafat Ali Khan, who was the uh, the most esteemed tiger hunting uh, killer in all of India. And this was his son ended up, like it's, it's like a family thing. It's like the Gracies. The Gracies were like the UFC champs who never lost. This is like the uh, the tiger killing. Uh, is something that is passed along from one generation to another. It was Nawab's son who actually killed the tiger, right, as he charged, as this female tigress charged the uh, the jeep that they were in. Danny G. What do you think I might have for you right now? Do we have Nawab? Yes, we do. Oh, my God. This is unbelievable. All right, so let's go ahead and bring him up. This is an incredible – we've tracked down – uh, Nawab Shafat Ali Khan, he has killed the man-eating tiger, T1, the tigress that killed 14 people. Nawab uh, Shafat Ali Khan, congratulations. I can't believe we got you. Tell me about it. Thank you very much. It was a very, very challenging operation that we went through. And uh, thrice the tigress came charging at us almost 10 meters. And we made all attempts to tranquilize her. But Ultimately, even the dart was fired, but she was so ferocious and angry that the moment the tranquilizing dart hit her, she turned and charged at us. And my son, Azgar Ali Khan, who is 35 years old, stood his ground and shot her with the 458 Winchester Magnum from 10 meters, and that brought the end of the man-eater India was searching for for past one and a half years. So, were you in the jeep when the when the man eating tiger was shot? Yes, 
she had come to the same village where she had killed three people in September, and the people out there were terrified. They called the forest department, and hurriedly a team was set up and sent in an open jeep. While they went there, she got into the bushes, and after some time, the forest team with my son located her. And as the dart was fired, she turned and came for us all out, and they fired in self-defense, put them killing the tiger. How many people were in the jeep? There were five people. One was the forest authorized officer who was firing the tranquilizing dart. There were two foresters to identify the tigeress, one driver, and my son, Azgar Ali Khan. What does it feel like when a tiger charges you? Oh, it can be very, very unnerving. You're seeing death straight in the face because an angry tiger, when it roars and comes for you, you're seeing death in the face and it comes like an arrow. A tiger, angry tiger charges so fast that the eye cannot focus on it. And it's just point and shoot. And it's the survival of the quickest. Either you fire and get the tiger or the tiger gets you. How many times have you yourself shot at a tiger as it charges you? Well, I have shot three tigers in similar situations. And several leopards, uh, man-eating leopards. In fact, last year I shot a leopard which had killed seven people. And that leopard charged at me. And I was on the ground walking and tracking it. And I shot that leopard from three meters. How long, did, when you, when, that's unbelievable. When you shoot an animal like that, how long does it take for your adrenaline to come back down and for you to feel normal again? I imagine it is such a high-stress moment that it takes a long time to come back down to normal, the way you normally feel. Yes, it's quite an unnerving experience. It affects my sleep even the following day. And uh, when I close my eyes, that terrifying charge comes back to me all over again. And it takes almost two to three days for one to be normal. Do you have nightmares about tigers and leopards and animals charging you, given what you have done for a living for so long? Yes, I do get nightmares. But now, having done it for 40 long years and having faced rogue elephants and man-eating tigers and bear coming close, it's become a way of life for me. And I have dedicated my life for the cause of those poor Indians who suffer in silence, whose family members get killed and maimed by these rogue animals. For people who did not hear your interview with us last time, and I appreciate you joining us live from India, Nawab Shafat Ali Khan, what is your title and how did you become the person who was in charge of trying to track down this man-eating tiger, T1, this tigress, that had killed 14 people? I'm uh, the probably the only licensed hunter in India whom the government relies upon whenever they are in a tight corner because we have very strict conservation laws and when a rogue, uh, a rogue elephant or a man-eating tiger uh, gets out of control and continues to kill people, first option is to try and tranquilize it, then to try and cage it. But in these processes, uh, the animal continues to kill people, and when we land up at 14, 15 human deaths, then there is revolt, and the government finally turns to me and then it becomes my job to follow the animal on foot in thick bushes where it's taking cover during day, where it's feeding on a human body. And several times I have had to collect limbs, hands, legs of dead bodies, put them in a bag and bring them for postmortem. What was the reaction in the village and all over the area of India where the tiger had been stalking people when people found out that you and your, your, your son had killed this tiger? Oh, there was jubilation and bursting of crackers, and my son was virtually carried from village to village. And um, 
he was garlanded and he was carried from village to village and people were extremely happy that the problem was over children had not gone to schools for 3 months and people had not stepped out of their houses after sundown crops were ready for harvest and nobody could go in and harvest their fields out of fear of the man-eater We're talking to Nawab Shafat Ali Khan. He's been tracking a man-eating tiger that killed 14 people in India. You have been trying to catch this tiger or kill this tiger for how long? We were there for almost 40 days, but before we reached the spot, the uh, state government and forest department and veterinarians they were trying to capture it for one and a half long years. We read about this in our New York Times newspaper here in the United States. They talked about the use of the obsession cologne as something that the tiger found irresistible. Did that help in any way in your mind this uh, hunt come to success, successful conclusion? No, it didn't work. These things don't work on Indian animals. The Royal Bengal tiger is an extremely intelligent cat. and these things don't work we have to rely on traditional tracking methods traditional stalking of the animal on foot in extremely thick bushes and uh, that is the only thing that works for these dangerous man-eaters what would have happened if you had tranquilized this man-eating tiger where would it have gone even assuming it was tranquilized it would have gone to a rescue center for life imprisonment and i know that there are some people who are upset i'm not one of them when i hear that there is a man eating tiger i think you have to kill the tiger what would you say to people who are upset that the tigeress had to be killed you see the people who are upset have vested interests most of the animal rights activists have a vested interest they have ngos and they have funding from abroad nobody who's a genuine conservationist will approve that a problematic tiger or a leopard should remain in the system this is very much against conservation ethics because if we allow one problematic animal to survive for long periods of time and feed on innocent human beings then the entire human population of that area becomes anti wildlife they begin poisoning tigers so in the long run we have to think of saving the tiger not a tiger Nawab Shafat Ali Khan they just killed a man eating tiger in India he came on with us uh, several weeks ago I want to go back to what makes a tiger start eating humans. They don't naturally eat humans. We aren't typical prey for tigers. You have tracked and and gone after tigers and other big cats for your entire life. Why does a tiger start to kill humans and why do they continue to kill humans once they start? The basic factor that takes them to man-eating is stress. In India, we have more tigers in small small pockets of forests and tiger is a territorial animal when their numbers increase the ratio to land to animal ratio they come out of the forest and they are into agricultural fields here they don't get the required base prey the wild boar deer and all that what a tiger generally feeds on is not available outside the forest so they start feeding on domestic cattle that brings them closer to the shepherds and the villagers and in this process they lose the natural fear they have for man and once this fear is demolished they begin to see man as a natural prey as a monkey as as a as a goat and then they begin to stalk a man This particular tiger is T1 used to stalk old women who would return to the village in the evenings. I have had her pug marks superimposed on an old lady's footprints for more than a kilometer. This was a week ago. So once they become man-eaters, they realize 
that man is very easy to kill. A man cannot smell a tiger like a deer can smell. A man cannot run away from a tiger like a wild boar can run. So killing a man becomes very easy and man doesn't have a thick skin like other animals have. So the tiger and its cubs can start feeding very, very comfortably. So once they kill a man, they realize that killing this species is easy and they continue to kill whenever they get a possibility of killing a man. What about the cubs for the tigress? I know that you told us last time that she had two cubs that maybe also were feeding on people. What will happen to those cubs? Yes, those cubs are sub-adults now. They are almost 11 months old and as big as a jaguar you have in U.S. And they have also been feeding on human beings. Now I have made a plan to capture them alive. We are giving them baits now and trying to localize them. Once they localize, once they are localized, we'll try and tranquilize them and move them to a rescue center before they become blown out man-eaters. Now, how do you know that you got the right tiger? All tiger, tiger stripes are like our fingerprints. No two tigers have the same pattern of stripes. So we have enough and more camera trap images of this man-eating tigeress T1. And she was compared in the lab after she died. And the report has come that she was the problematic animal we were looking for. That's fantastic news. What will you do now? So I know you're going to come to the United States eventually because we want to have you in studio for a big discussion uh, to talk all about this. But what will you do now? Where are you and what is your next assignment? My next assignment on the agenda at the moment is to safely capture the cubs because the Honorable Supreme Court of India has directed me to safely tranquilize these cubs and move them to a rescue center. So that is top on the agenda. And once that's done, then I have a few more assignments waiting for me. There are some problematic elephants in Northeast India, which we have to tackle. And hopefully by New Year, I should be over with my, uh, with my projects here and wait for an invitation from you to come and share a dice and share my videos and talk to my brothers in the U.S. We cannot wait. Stay safe, Mr. Nawab Shafat Ali Khan. Congratulations on getting that man-eating tiger, and we can't wait for you to come to the United States and share your stories with us in person. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful day indeed. That is Nawab Shafat Ali Khan. We'll open up the phone lines. You guys can react to that interview and that story. Good work by Danny G. Getting him live on the air there. 877-996-6369. Brent and Dayton. What's up, Brent? Hey, Clay. Great show. Every time you have that guy on, it is unbelievable radio. That is pure gold. He is. I could listen to that dude talk all day long. I can't wait till you guys have him on again. I'm with you. I mean, there are a few guests when they come on that, like, I'm on pins and needles because I have no idea what the answer to every question is going to be. He's one of them. Jordan in uh, South Carolina. What's up, Jordan? Yeah, how's it going, Clay? Thanks for having me on. That was a fantastic interview. I was, you know, driving to work and just on the edge of my seat. I think we need to do a uh, outkick caveat to uh, Animal Thunderdome and maybe find out where in the world our animal hunter is uh, of the man-killing species and uh, do a little follow-up there. Fantastic stuff, Clay. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I just, like, I hear this and I think to myself, how is this guy's life story not a movie? Like, he just goes from tracking one killer animal to another. Matt in Orlando. What's up, Matt? Yeah. Hey, Clay. I just want to say that was an amazing interview. And I'm looking forward to hearing from that guy again. I appreciate it. Appreciate the show. Thank you. I mean, I'm the same as you guys. I mean, I just find this guy, Nawab Shafat Ali Khan, to be maybe, I mean, the real most interesting man in the world. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. And it's always easier to do a show when you got somebody like Alex Marvez who knows everything about the NFL. He's with us now. Alex, let's start here. The Broncos and Vance Joseph. 
First of all, I think it's unheard of. You may be able to think of another example where a team has traded a guy and allowed him to play against them that same week. I have to think that the impact of Demarius Thomas, when you consider the game was decided by a missed 51-yard field goal, had to loom large in this decision-making, but so too did Vance Joseph settling for a 51-yard field goal. How soon is he going to be fired? Is he going to be fired? Oh, he'll be gone. I mean, the, the whole thing, though, is probably at the end of the season. I mean, what do you do right now? Who do you promote? And, you know, does that help anybody? I, I don't know. You know, they're going to continue to peter along as long as they remain in playoff contention. And, I mean, they're technically still in, quote, playoff contention. But, no, it's not a very good team. Listen, we can beat up Vance Joseph and, and the fact that he wasn't ready to become a head coach and the fact he put together a poor staff. You already have the offensive coordinator. His first one, Mike McCoy, is gone. His special teams coordinator, Brock Olivo, he's gone. And Joe Wood, some would say their defense of coordinator he should be gone as well he was almost fired before the Arizona game earlier this year and Vance took a bigger part in the defensive play calling but you know listen I knew Vance was in big time trouble this in August I'm sitting there Gil Brand and I are on our Sirius XM tour stop you know for training camps we're sitting there talking with John and I mentioned about how Gary Kubiak did this incredible job you know helping the front office draft better and it's true this was a much better draft for the Broncos this year than it had been the past couple seasons and, and John went into this soliloquy un, un, you know unprovoked about how he wishes Gary Kubiak was still his head coach today that that, you know but Gary's health issues you know his family you know their concerns not going to let him do it and I'm like why are you telling me this you know what I mean it it completely undermines your head coach so uh, you know and he said it on air so I'm just you know I I think really the deck I don't want to say the deck was stacked against Vance Vance didn't do himself any favors with some of the decisions that he's made look John Elway didn't do Vance Joseph any favors you look at a roster right now that's a pretty mediocre one and that's one of the reasons you trade Demarius Thomas you're looking ahead a little bit and you got a good wide receiver in Cortland Sutton who's going to be ready to go uh, for you, uh, you know, right now, although he dropped a touchdown pass yesterday, but he's someone that they considered to be a Demarius Thomas replacement. Listen, Demarius was a goner, by the way, no matter what, in 2019. Uh, you know, for, uh, he's set to make $14 million. He's not going to make that with the Texans. He's not going to make that anywhere. Had to make the trade, though, Clay, you know, two reasons. Will Fuller goes down, Texans need a wide receiver, and the trade deadline was so quickly coming up. Broncos had to make that awkward trade with Demarius Thomas going to Houston and then facing him five days later. What about settling for the 51-yard field goal? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I mean, I agree. Listen, and how about the 62-yarder at the end of the first half, right? You know, then that gets returned, you know, first, you know, up up and puts three plays later. The Texans are in position for a field goal, so you talk about a three-point swing right there. But you know what? I mean, Clay, in the NFL today, you got Brandon McManus. This is one of the best kickers in the NFL. He should be able to connect from 51 yards, right? I mean, that that's really what you get, in my opinion. I, I think that, you know, look, kickers like this, you got to be able to make clutch kicks at the end of games. Brandon McManus did it. And, of course, Vance Joseph is going to have to fall on the sword for that and, and, and take, you know, again, another loss here for the Broncos. But, look, this just isn't a very good Denver team. I mean, they're, you know, they're sort of like, you know, 6-10-ish, and 7-9-ish. and nine-ish. And for Broncos fans, they're not used to that. that. That isn't something that they're accustomed to, all of this losing after such that great stretch earlier this decade. And, of course, we can beat up Vance Joseph, but John Elway deserves a lot of the blame as well for an inferior roster. Texans are now 6-3. and three. Is the AFC South race over? I think so. I think they're pulling away. Listen, they're the first team since the 1970 New York Giants to win six straight after an 0-3 start, they've got their longest winning streak since 2012. Here's another stat for you, by the way. 27-1 and when leading at halftime under Bill O'Brien. And i got a flip side stat here for you. I don't know if we're going to get into the Baltimore Ravens. But when the Ravens are trailing at halftime under John Harbaugh, they're 14-47. and that's a 229 winning percentage. So the Texans are really good at holding on to a lead. Uh, you know, DeAndre Hopkins playing some unbelievable football. Deshaun Watson now, 36 career TD passes in 16 games. His career games at the second most in NFL history through a player's first 16 games. And, of course, J.J. Watt tied to the AFC lead in sacks. He's back to being a difference maker himself. Are, are they a great Texans team? I, I can't tell you that. They're dangerous. You know, especially as if they get healthier in the secondary and some of those guys return that have been battling injuries. We'll see how Demarius Thomas helps him down the stretch. And by the way, one of the NFL's most underrated running backs, Lamar Miller. I mean, he was signed to a four-year, $26 million deal, wasn't considered a featured back by the Dolphins. Look at him now in Houston. I mean, he plays such a vital role on that team. 
They've done a nice job adjusting to injuries on the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, who else is going to step up and, and really catch them, right? The Tennessee Titans, aye, 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 we can get into that. They play the Cowboys tonight, and we know Jacksonville's going nowhere fast. I mean, maybe they can make a little bit of a run. Huge game coming up against Indianapolis this coming week, almost like a loser-leave-town type match. Whoever loses that one, probably count them out of the division. But kudos to the Texans for weathering the storm, 0-3 to 6-3. and Patriots beat the Packers. Are the Packers done and – uh, is it fair to say that the Patriots are back to being the Patriots after starting one and two? I'll start with the Packers. You know, Ben Maller on our air last night said, yeah, the Packers are done. I guess he three, four, and one for him is done. I don't know. You know, look, I mean, do we trust Chicago? Because I look at the division. You know, is, this, is there anyone in this division that's going to be able to run away with things? I don't think Chicago. I think they're an ascending team, one that's getting better as Mitchell Trubisky continues to gain experience. Uh, you know, but are they, you know, are they going to run away with this thing at 12-4? At and four? No, probably not. So the Packers are going to continue to putter along, but you look at the upcoming schedule, and it is just not pretty for this team. By the way, 0-4 on the road, that's not good. Coming up in a couple of weeks, they have a quick turnaround. They host the Dolphins this Sunday. Then they got to fly out to Seattle because, as you know, the NFL are very concerned about health and safety about their, among their players with the Thursday night schedule. So it's always great to send people from Wisconsin out to Washington <laughs> to play a game on three days rest. You know, of course, it wouldn't be like the television network, the deal that Fox had would possibly influence the league's decision to best protect its players from any sort of injuries or anything like that. So I think for Green Bay, look, at, and, and again, I, what I'll tell you is this. What's happening now, when you watch this team and you watch the way some of the rookies play and then you look at some of the draft picks that they had in recent years, I think it's pretty evident that Ted Thompson didn't do these guys any favors himself, like I was saying with John Elway, and that some of the drafts were just so poor. I mean, he hit on a couple guys, but not like you're seeing these rookies step up now for the Packers. The big thing, though, does Mike McCarthy take the fall because these rookies, by the time they're good, he might not be around coaching them. I mean, I just you sort of feel like, the, you know, again, that narrative of Aaron Rodgers and his best years are, be, you know, are being squandered by Green Bay. You look at how, how much he has to hold the football back there. And, and the Patriots, well aware of this. They pressured Aaron Rodgers more than anyone last night. And even though he only got sacked, I think, officially once, you know, it didn't matter. You know, guys were in his face because he holds on to the football forever, waiting for plays to develop downfield. And I just don't think that's a recipe for success in today's NFL. As for the Patriots, yeah, they're back. And, you know, every week it's a symphony. I love it. You know, Bill Belichick writes a new one. He gets the different musical notes. He rearranges things as a composer. And he puts out an incredible product. And Look at Cordero Patterson as their leading rusher right now. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. They have no running backs, right? So Cordero Patterson becomes a running back. I mean, that, that's pretty darn crazy right there. You see guys in the secondary that continue to improve each week. Trey Flowers has really stepped up his game. And what they did last night, by the way, no Sony Michelle, no Rob Gronkowski. Imagine if that was a full-strength Patriots team playing against Green Bay. Oh, and Tom Brady's still, still pretty good, hitting the 80,000-yard mark in career yardage, passing, rushing, receiving, maybe punting, I don't know. But, I mean, 80,000 yards gets hits an NFL record last night. And, and he will eventually eclipse that 1,000-yard uh, rushing mark, but, you know, for his career, not for a season. Saints get the win over the Rams. Exhilarating game. Is Drew Brees going to be the MVP? Does this game really tell you very much about the Rams, even though they lost, they put for, acquitted themselves pretty well? What do we take away from an epic battle from what I think was the two best teams right now in the NFC? Yeah, and I agree with you on the two best teams in the NFC, although Carolina quietly putting together a quality season. Beware the Vikings if that defense continues to excel. As we, as we heard from Eddie Garcia, those 10 sacks, a franchise record. Daniel Hunter leading the NFL with 11 and a half sacks. People may stop calling him Daniel by the time the season's over. <laughs> Who knows? You know? uh, but for the Saints, you know, Brees will be in the MVP mix because it's a celebration of Drew Brees, who's actually my preseason pick for MVP because I thought that all the passing yardage marks would, would cause some people to pay attention to him. The Saints also my preseason Super Bowl pick against the Patriots. We'll see if all that all plays out. If the season ended today, I'd feel pretty good about it. One thing I took away from the Rams, they cannot wait until Aqib Tlaib gets back on the field. They need him. You know, if the, if the Saints and their, their out, offensive line is outstanding and it's very underrated, they were able to give Drew Brees enough time to be able to pick him apart downfield, and they just don't have the defensive backs right now at the corner spot to be able to hang with teams. Aqib Tlaib really will change the complexion of this defense. I think, too, once Dante Fowler Jr. knows more than a handful of plays and defensive formations, he, too, could make an impact on that side of the football. You know, and the Saints, of course, playing in this division, it's interesting because their final three games, it's Carolina, Atlanta, Carolina is where I believe we're at. Or it's they play, they play Carolina two of the, th the past three, 
two of the final three games. I know that for sure, weeks 15 and 17. So that, you know, that's going to play such a pivotal role into whether New Orleans can get that home field advantage. They are a different team when they're inside the Dome. But, hey, they've won two tough road games as well in Baltimore and Minnesota. I believe in the Saints. Of course, Breeze, as far as MVP, competition tough. You know, we have Pat Mahomes, who's, you know, on pace for, what, 7,000 touchdown passes this season. And I still think Todd Gurley is a very viable candidate for that award. But Drew definitely helped himself. But, listen, at this point for him, it's all about winning, right? I mean, what other franchise quarterback is selfless enough to say, no, no, I'm willing to let another player take the snap in Taysom Hill as long as it helps the team? That's what Drew Brees is doing now because he wants that second ring. You mentioned it earlier, and I definitely want to get to it. The Ravens sacked the Titans 11 times three weeks ago and looked like a world-beating team uh, when they did so. They won 21 nothing. They have since lost three straight games. The wheels seem to have come off. Meanwhile, the Steelers don't seem to be missing Le'Veon Bell at all. What's going on there? couple things with the Ravens, and, and so much of it falls just upon a very mediocre offense in Joe Flacco. And, you know, listen, you can call all the play, You know, we can beat up on Marty Morneyway as an offensive coordinator and things should be better, this and that. When Joe's missing wide-open guys like Lamar Jackson in the end zone and, you know, things like that, I, I mean, that's really, I mean, Joe Flacco is just a pedestrian quarterback at this point, and that's unfortunate, but I mean, I'm, I'm off the bandwagon officially. I always thought that Joe might be able to get it back together in his career, but he is not. I mentioned that record about coming back at halftime. They haven't been able to. Now, in defense of Joe Flacco and, and you know, trying to justify some of the weak performance yesterday, they were down two starting tackles, you know, Ronnie Stanley and James Hurst. They were both out, and clearly that allowed the Steelers to apply some pressure. Now, in Pittsburgh, you talk about the offensive side of the ball and agreed. You know, it's a, it's a really helpful that after the first couple weeks of the season, they finally figured out Le'Veon Bell's not coming back. So let us adjust. You know, let us not let us not sit there and wait uh, for Le'Veon Bell because I think he really hosed him. You know, entering the season, everyone thought Le'Veon was going to show up on Labor Day, and, and you know, if you're offensive coordinator James Fincher, you know, in the back of your head, you're like, okay, we'll have Le'Veon and we'll do, we'll set this up. James Conner had to earn their trust. He has done exactly that. Antonio Brown, being Antonio Brown, leads the NFL in touchdown catches. I mean, he's just playing brilliant. But it's the defensive side of the ball where we're seeing some significant improvement. Mike Hilton has been an epiphany, yes, an epiphany, at slot cornerback. That has really helped them quite a bit. The pressure has been able to come to cover up for the fact that there's no true great shutdown corner on this team. Artie Burns isn't that guy, probably won't be that guy. I don't even know if he can ever become Montgomery Burns from the Simpsons. Point, though, is that he's now in a rotation with Cody Sensabaugh, former Titan, as you know. But listen, they're getting the job done. And how many points do you really need to score or, or like not surrender? You know, if you're the Steelers, four straight games, by the way, they've given up 21 or fewer points. They're averaging 31 or more points for four straight games. So those are some of the things that make you encouraged about the Steelers. As for the Ravens, unless things turn around pretty quickly, I think we're looking at John Harbaugh, his final year as Baltimore Ravens head coach. It's a pretty big deal. Also a big deal, the Falcons left for dead at 1-4 and four after a loss to the Steelers have won three in a row. They're probably going to blow the Browns out next weekend. I feel pretty good about that one. <laughs> Are the Falcons back? They took down the Redskins, who had kind of sneakily gotten up to 5-2. and two. The Redskins get to the halfway point of the season at 5-3. and three. They're still leading the NFC East, but do you believe in them? Let me start with the Redskins, and they're, they're one of these middle-class NFL teams that drive you crazy, right? You don't know what you get from week to week. You know, you, you know some weeks they're, they're great, other weeks they're poor. I mean, who'd have thought Adrian Peterson only 17 rushing yards against the Falcons? That was it. They got nothing going, and this is where their lack of, of you know, big plays with the wide receiver position really comes back to hurt the Redskins. They just don't they, – they're just Alex Smith. Just I don't know if it's, it's Alex. I don't know if it's the guys that he has, Paul Richardson, Josh Doxson, Jamison Crowder, but they are just not able to, to get the wide receivers to be an effective part of their game. And even the tight end spot where Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis have been really good this year, they didn't feed off, feast on the Atlanta Falcons' defense like Atlanta's past few opponents have. Listen, you know that the, the Falcons are going to score points, right? And that's – you know, the, the surprise to me – yesterday, too, getting their own running game going. Tevin Coleman had an outstanding performance. Ito Smith, who is named, by the way, his nickname does stem from Judge Ito. I do want to point that out. His mom saw Judge Ito on TV watching the OJ trial about 23 years ago, and she nicknamed her child Ito. He's had 60, career, 60 rushing yards, 12-yard touchdown, both a career highs for him. Four rushing TDs by Ito this year, the most for any Falcons rookie, Clay, since T.J. Duckett back in 2002. I didn't think you were expecting a T.J. Duckett reference this morning. And on the defense the side of the ball, you know, talking to my people there, their whole thing is this, just hold down the fort. 
wait until some of these guys get back. Deion Jones back on the practice field a little bit last week. It will be huge when he gets back at the Mike linebacker spot. And DeMonte Kazee, they're not getting back Rico Allen. They're not getting back Keanu Neal. But this guy already has four interceptions this season, a converted cornerback to safety. He's becoming a big-time player for them. Jack Crawford has a sack in three straight games. Here's weird stats, though, on the Falcons. NFL's best third-down offense. They're converting at a 53.3% clip. That's outstanding. On defense, they give up the most yards in the NFL on first downs, 6.91 yards. So I think much like the, like, much like the Redskins where you're going to see mixed performances from week to week, same thing with Atlanta. But, you know, they're good enough to stick around in the playoff race. The problem for them is Carolina and New Orleans are also good. So they've got to find a way to make some hay there to be able to get out of the division when it comes to tiebreakers. A couple more quick questions for you. Are the Panthers for real? And what happens tonight in Monday Night Football between the Cowboys and the Titans? Carolina is very much for real. you got to give Norv Turner a lot of credit. Listen, I was a skeptic. I didn't know if the game had passed Norv by a little bit. Instead, he integrates some things that really click well with Cam Newton. Goofy stat for the Carolina Panthers. Goofy stat. Their wide receivers have more rushing yards than any team in the NFL. They have gained 193 yards on rushes this season. You know, jet sweeps end around. You had a 33-yard touchdown by, by Curtis Samuel. It's keeping defenses off balance. Balance already, those 193 wide receiver rushing yards, a franchise record. You know they're going to play good defense. Mario Addison, three sacks yesterday against the hapless, yes, hapless Bucks And Dante Jackson, rookie making a huge impact. Four interceptions this season. But it's Cam, man. Two straight touchdowns, two Seven straight games, two or more touchdown passes, tying a franchise record. They're really good at home. Ten straight wins uh, at, in, at Bank of America Stadium. So, yes, the Carolina Panthers very much for real. I expect Dallas to win tonight against Tennessee. The, the Titans are just it's, – it's a shame. Marcus Mariota, I don't think he's going to be that guy for them. He just, is not, he just isn't being very consistent. Not that Dak is all that great. He's actually last or near last in the NFL in third down passing. But how about this stat for you on the Titans? They're one of three teams in the NFL averaging less than 300 yards a game on offense through the first eight weeks. That's not going to get it done. I'm not a Matt LaFleur fan. I don't think he's helping matters. I don't think their offensive personnel is helping matters. They can only lean on the NFL's best red zone defense for so long. I think the Cowboys win tonight. Good stuff as always. Alex Marvez hitting us with every single game and every single team. Love the info. Follow him on Twitter at Alex Marvez. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. You guys know I love college football, much like the NFL, honestly. I spend all weekend watching college football and the NFL trying to think about what's going to happen going forward, try to think about everything that we just saw. So I hope you listen to me. I hope you listen to me last weekend gambling when I was giving you all my college football picks. We had a good week gambling in the NFL. But in college football, I went 11-3 and on my gambling picks for you guys last week. And even the three that I lost could have pretty much been wins. I mean, I was all dialed in on everything. And that started with the big games in the Southeastern Conference, in the SEC. I told you that Alabama was going to roll into LSU and that they were going to dominate. And what was the most watched game of the year so far in college football, Alabama put on a clinic. 29 nothing. I uh, told you when LSU hired Coach Ed Ogeron. I like him. As long as Nick Saban was there, the gap between LSU and Alabama was going to continue to widen. And this is a crazy stat for you. LSU has not scored a point now at home against Nick Saban since right before halftime in 2014. They have gone 10 straight quarters unable to score against Alabama. That's a mind-blowing stat to be a top college football team playing in what you consider to be your biggest rivalry game now against your former coach. Nick Saban has not allowed, this is a crazy stat, LSU to score a point in 10 straight quarters. And if you remember and you listen to this show, the minute that Nick Saban was asked, do you hope to get the ball or defer, he said, I hope we elect to kick ass. They did kick ass. They outgained LSU by nearly 400 yards. They dominate. Alabama, right now, I went back and looked, and we'll talk some about this. The three best teams I can remember watching in my life as a big college football fan are 95 Nebraska. That was the Tommy Frazier team that I believe scored 62 on Florida to win the championship. 
2001 Miami. That was an undefeated Miami Hurricanes team. Should have won in 2002 as well, but they got the late flag Ohio State did to be able to pull off that upset. And 2004-2005 USC. USC, the 2005 team, lost to Texas in that epic national title Rose Bowl game, the greatest college football game, I think, of my life as a college football fan, Matt Leinart against Vince Young. The year before, they went undefeated. Those three teams, which were dynasty-like in terms of their overall talent, the best of those dynasties in terms of winning championships, none of them have dominated like Alabama has. The Crimson Tide now 9-0, and and they haven't just won. They have run roughshod over all of their opponents. It hasn't been remotely close. And so I think we can start to ask the question, as Alabama finishes off their season with three straight home games against Mississippi State, Citadel, and Auburn, is this Alabama team on track right now to be the greatest college football team of all time? And when I say all time, I mean like in the last 40 or 50 years. Because frankly, we don't know about 90 years ago. I know this. I've never seen a team be as dominant as Alabama has through nine weeks. They've beaten every team by 22 or more. To LSU's credit, at least they got Tua to take a snap in the fourth quarter. But man, it was an utter beatdown. I hope you jumped on board the Alabama train, first half line and second half line. Other game, I told you Kentucky's just not that good. Kentucky Wildcats are 7-2, and two, more power to them for having what is a very good year for Kentucky. But they're just not that good. And if you question how good they are, Tennessee is not very good at all, right? University of Tennessee, not a very good football team this year in year one with Jeremy Pruitt. Kentucky is favored by three points over Tennessee this weekend in Neyland Stadium. A 4-5 and five Tennessee team that beat Charlotte 14-3, to and I think Tennessee's going to beat Kentucky this weekend in Neyland. Not because I think Tennessee's very good, but just because I think Kentucky's just okay. I think Kentucky is somewhere around the 40th or 50th best team in college football. I know they've won some close games. Kentucky fans are in an uproar. You're not that good. You got no offense. Got a pretty good defense, but Georgia just showed up and manhandled you and showed you what a good football team looks like. That game was not close. 28-3, I think about midway through the third quarter, they just showed up and out-physicaled Kentucky. Doesn't mean Kentucky doesn't have a good season. Kentucky might win 10 games, might beat Tennessee, should beat MTSU, should beat Louisville, who is just freaking awful. We'll get to Clemson right now because that's a good segue. But I hope you listen to me. I think Alabama and Georgia are head and shoulders above everybody else right now in the SEC. Clemson, my God, 77 points. Clemson, I believe right now, is the only team that can challenge Alabama in the college football playoff. I think they're the only team that has the talent on the defensive side of the ball and the talent on the offensive side of the ball to give Alabama a rush, give them a challenge. I think that's going to be our national title game. I think we're going to get Clemson against Alabama for the third time in four years. Clemson is really starting to peak at the right time. We'll see how they do this weekend going up against Boston College. A little bit of a tough environment there. BC is 7-2 and two as well. But Clemson is just on fire right now. They aren't just beating teams in the ACC. They are obliterating them. They have really turned the corner. The decision to go with Trevor Lawrence over Kelly Bryant seems like Dabo made the right decision there because Clemson has gone to another gear. We'll get to uh, we'll get Notre Dame wins. My playoff four right now would be uh, Notre Dame gets the win over uh, Northwestern, withstands Northwestern. My playoff four would be Alabama as my one seed, Clemson as my two seed. In the three spot, I would have Notre Dame. And in the four spot, I would have Michigan. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. My top four college football playoff right now, if I was on the playoff selection committee, they will be announcing this on Tuesday night. Number one, Alabama. I don't think anybody can argue it. Number two, Clemson. I don't think anybody can argue it based on the way Clemson has played the last month of the season. They have obliterated everyone. Number three, undefeated still, Notre Dame. 
Number four, I got Michigan. Now, you can say, oh, Clay, you were down on Jim Harbaugh when the season started. That's true. I stand by every opinion I've had about Jim Harbaugh that through three seasons, Jim Harbaugh was the most overrated coach in the history of college football. But this year, this year, if Jim Harbaugh can win his next three, he's got Rutgers. Pray for Rutgers. I don't. I haven't even checked to see what this line's going to have to be. I honestly think it would need to be 45 for me to take Rutgers. That's how bad Rutgers football is. Jim Harbaugh is going to beat Rutgers this weekend. Michigan's going to get to and try to do live math on the air, which is always a challenge. They'll be 8-1 and one after this coming weekend. Then they are going to, uh, sorry, they'll be 9-1. and one. Then they are going to beat Indiana to get to 10-1. and one. And then, I want you to go ahead and write this in stone, they are going to go on the road and they are going to beat Ohio State by double digits. It's not going to be close because Ohio State has fallen apart. I watched that game against Nebraska, our buddy Joel Klatt, Gus Johnson, calling that game. Sorry, they weren't. I watched the game, but they weren't calling. It was Brady uh, Quinn and uh, and uh, whoever Brady Quinn's, uh, Joe Davis. Brady Quinn and Joe Davis were calling it. And, and Nebraska easily could have won that game. Nebraska maybe arguably should have won that game. They played Ohio State completely even. If you're a Cornhusker fan, that's a game where you go back and you put a pin in it and you say, okay, Scott Frost has got us on the right track. Adrian Martinez, their quarterback, everything that they did was almost good enough to go into the shoe and win. But that was as much about Ohio State as it was Nebraska. And what it told me about Ohio State was that team is broken. That team, I'm not sure. In fact, I am betting on Michigan State to beat them this weekend coming up in East Lansing. It's going to be an ugly, low-scoring game. We know already that Michigan State many years has had Ohio State's number. Urban Meyer looks utterly anguished. This, I believe, is Urban Meyer's last year coaching at Ohio State. He looks so much like he did at the end of his tenure at Florida, a beaten man whose program's foundation has crumbled around him. I know he's got health issues. He's been using Pete Thamel at the Yahoo Sports, who's his personal uh, Boswell he just tells him whatever he wants, and Pete Thamel just writes it. So, without question, um, Urban Meyer is, beyond a shadow of a doubt, a fraction of the coach that he was when he had things rolling at Ohio State. I think they're going to lose to Michigan State, which will mean for the Big Ten that that Ohio State-Michigan game will be for an elimination game for Michigan. Because there's only two teams alive now who can still make the playoff in the Big Ten. Ohio State and Michigan. That's it. Ohio State is going to get eliminated from playoff competition this weekend against Michigan State. And then I believe they're going to lose by double digits to Michigan to end the season. The line right now for big game weekend, Michigan is now favored by three points, I believe. I think it's the first time in the Jim Harbaugh era that we have ever seen Michigan favored over Ohio State on any line. I'll tell you this right now. It's eerily similar to what happened at the end of his tenure at Florida when suddenly Nick Saban had eclipsed Florida. Nick Saban was rising at Alabama and he had eclipsed what Urban Meyer had built at Florida. And Urban Meyer couldn't handle the decline of his program and so he ran away from coaching at Florida. I think what's happening is Urban Meyer has seen the future. He knows Jim Harbaugh's program is on ascendance now and that his program is on decline, and he's going to run out of Columbus before he starts getting his ass regularly kicked like would happen if he stayed and kept coaching at Ohio State. I've been critical of Jim Harbaugh, but the worm has turned here on the seesaw, Urban Meyer plummeting towards the ground, Jim Harbaugh rising up into the sky. It's going to be a beatdown in that big game to end the season between Ohio State and Michigan. And my four playoff teams, I believe these are going to be the four. Undefeated Alabama, undefeated Clemson. I think Notre Dame could even still lose one of their final three. They play against Florida State, Syracuse, and um, USC to finish the season. I think they could end up losing one of those, still make the playoff. And Michigan. 
Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. All right, game off. We got to pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying. Flag on the play. You already talked about that, but there's just so much good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. Unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes. Cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with. Hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini-games like Digging for Treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on!